Welcome to Living Wisely, Living Well, Timeless Wisdom to Enrich Every Day with Asha Nayaswamy, one of the spiritual directors of Ananda Palo Alto and a founding member of Ananda Worldwide. If you enjoy this content and are inspired by the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda and his disciple Swami Kriyananda, find Asha on YouTube, Facebook, all podcast directories, and her website, ashajoy.org. Living Wisely, Living Well, April 4th. Attachments are self-limiting, like prison bars. But, ah, see, between the bars, there is space. If you concentrate on that space, the bars will disappear. They consist only of your own iron stubbornness. It's atoms being your repeated affirmation of a false reality. There is a verse in the Bhagavad Gita which says, What is night to the worldly man is day to the yogi. What is day to the worldly man is night to the yogi. The phrase worldly man um, is a, a translation, but what we're talking about is there's, there's essentially two ways to view life. And one of them is that the material world is the fixed reality and that we as human beings have to adjust ourselves. To it. That's the way the world is. The other is that the, the true reality is our inner consciousness and our duty in life is to constantly be developing our inner consciousness and that the material world is the vehicle for developing our inner consciousness rather than an end in itself. I had a friend, uh, an older man as it was, um, when I was very first starting on the spiritual path and he and I used to talk about, like to talk about the meaning of life and philosophical matters. We were both inclined that way. But sooner or later, no matter where the conversation started, we always reached an essential impasse. He was an ambitious man. He wanted to be wealthy. He did become wealthy, never as wealthy as he wanted to be, but he did become wealthy. And his idea of the goal of life was to look around you and make it work. And he, he was an ethical man, and he was a good man, so it wasn't like it was money at all costs. But in an ethical, honorable, uh, respectable way, he wanted to make a success in the world, and that was success. I wanted to make a success of myself in the sense of developing my own inner consciousness, and whatever I did in the world had to be an outgrowth of that. And we would just reach a, an amicable impasse, but we could never get past that. When I have, was responsible, uh, which I was for many years, for trying to um, make Ananda known, especially in the community that I live in here in Silicon Valley, where we, we support ourselves entirely on the people who come and benefit from what we do, either paying for the services we offer or supporting us um, through the principle of tithing, which is to um, give a portion of your income, whether a fixed amount or a percentage, to the source of inspiration as a spiritual practice and as also as a practical matter. If the temple and those who serve in there serve you and you want it to continue, that's how it continues, by those people who support it, who benefit from it and they support it. Um, when I so so it, it's a business in a certain sense. Not it's not evangelical in that I, I've never felt that 
it's my that that I must convert the world when you have a philosophy like many um, fundamentalist Christians have that everybody's going to hell unless they take Jesus Christ as their savior is a very very powerful motivation for missionary work and in fact it gives missionaries sometimes a extraordinary spiritual power and an extraordinary detachment from their own comfort in the in the importance they feel in the work they're doing so i actually quite respect it i've read some remarkable stories about people motivated by that and the degree to which they will sacrifice however in the path that i'm following it people come to it when they're ready and and you really can't convert people so what i have done in all my years of trying to market ananda which is what we have to do everything in this world sooner or later comes down to the same basic principles i have to communicate and make it known what ananda is about when in 1986 when swami kriyananda asked us to move here and start um well nanda already had a presence but he he wanted us to devote more to put more energy into it and see what we could build he said that that master's teachings are ideally suited for the people in this area because it's innovative it's creative it's it's global it's a synthesis it's dwapara yuga everything that characterizes this part of the world the san francisco bay area he said so when people become interested in spiritual things he suggested i would like to see ananda's profile high enough above the horizon so that when people look around they'll see master's work which is really a beautiful way to put it so in my efforts to help raise the profile so that people would see it i i've i've had to think a great deal in traditional marketing terms who's our demographic and how do we reach them that's what the question is but the demographic of of the path of self realization is a little tricky for the most part it has to be people who have at least tasted some of what the world has to offer because if they've tasted none of what the world has to offer there's still the idea in their minds that happiness will come to me if i get more of what the world has to offer to to ask people to repudiate the apparent uh, pleasures and rewards of this world when they haven't yet experienced them um most people in that uh life situation are just simply not ready to think about it it's easy for you to tell me that i should renounce them because you've already had them let me get a little bit myself and then i'll find out so that's one part but such people can be in all in all stratas of life they tend to fall into certain recognizable areas but not necessarily and certainly by no means is everybody in a privileged position ready to repudiate their privilege their pleasure in the world privilege is not the right word their pleasure in the world it's just it's hard to quantify and you you can't you can't make statistics the one unifying factor the single unifying factor is what i was speaking of at the beginning when the realization comes that rather than trying to make my life work by looking at what the world has to offer and getting the world organized i need to look inside it who i am and realize that the real purpose of my existence is to to bring my inner house into order and then i will also know how to relate to the world it's not necessarily that at that point i renounce the world and go off to a cave 
I mean, I can continue in my, whatever it might be, my quest for success, my creative work, my innovative startup, whatever it might be, but I do it from a place of inner reality rather than external. So that's a little tricky. You know, it's just, it, it's the meaning of life. If you are looking for answers you know, that, that you don't find elsewhere, maybe you need to look to the inner world. So here's what Swami is talking about. He's talking about self-limiting ideas, and he's talking about the iron bars that keep us in. And it, it's just, it's a beautiful image that he has. Between all the iron bars is all this space. And we feel ourselves bound by the bars, but we could also escape through the spaces, perhaps not physically. I was, um, I had a very interesting experience. This would have been about 1988. A friend of mine, who, who a man who's become a friend, who was wrongly imprisoned, and I say that now after a great deal of um, knowledge about his situation, wrongly imprisoned, it has been for decades, but he was at the beginning of this long cycle, which by the grace of God and perhaps the governor of California, it, his long false imprisonment will soon be ended. I'm hoping for that. But at this point, he was at the beginning of his incarceration, and he was incarcerated locally, and not in a federal prison, but in a local jail, because he was he was in a legal process, and that kept him in that jail. And I'd never visited a, pra- a prison or a jail until um, he called us, because he had found autobiography of a yogi, and he wanted to learn Kriya, because there he was in jail, and he thought, his outer options were pretty limited, and maybe he needed to explore the inner world, which he has done admirably since. So I go into this jail, and because it was a jail, it was simpler and less elegant. It was, in fact, it was exactly like a movie set of a jail. It was a you know a wide, what you might even say, a wide corridor, concrete corridor, concrete floor in the middle, concrete floor on both sides, and on both sides. Are, are cells, the kinds of cells that have bars that you put your hands on and you look out like this. And walking through that area, I walked right in the absolute center. You know, I just didn't want to be on either side. It was just too unusual for me. And it was a very boring place for the men who were incarcerated. So when a, any visitor came walking down the middle, they, they, they did what you would do in a movie. They stood and they held the bars and they looked out. But what was so interesting to me about the whole thing was um, most of the people in there were in there for, at that point, for, for petty crimes, stealing or drug use or something like that. I say petty crimes as opposed to violence, bad, really big violence. So they weren't bad people. They weren't dark. They weren't even that dark. They were just, they looked more confused than anything else. But what I could feel, which was so strange, is they were incarcerated by those bars but I had the feeling that as soon as they got out of there, they would rush out and do exactly what they had just done. That, that the bars were restraining them, but their own consciousness was going to compel them in exactly the same direction they had been going. And it was, it was just so interesting to me where our imprisonment comes from. You know, they, they and I, again, I could have been projecting, but it, it felt very real to me that the consciousness was moving in a certain way and relating to life in a certain way. And it had been halted 
by arrest and imprisonment, but the inner compulsion was just still there. That's almost like it was almost manifested physically. They're pushing against the bars, you know, trying to get out, which would be only natural given the circumstances. But so are we. And and I myself realized I, I've had the same fundamental intention and aspiration in my life from my earliest memories. From you know, from literally one of my earliest memories is I believe I was about two. And my my mother scolded my brother and I because we were behaving wildly in the back seat of the car. I'll blame him because he was three years older than me. But my mother scolded both of us, and my feelings were hurt. And I also felt a little bit misunderstood because, of course, my older brother had lured me into it. My parents were very fair, so I'm not going to say that I didn't deserve what my mother gave me. I just didn't like it. And I remember I lay down on the floor of the back seat. This was long before children were restrained when they were in automobiles. I lay down on the floor of the back seat. I put my head on the floor, on the bump that would be there, that design of car. And I I listened to the hum of the tires on the ground. And I felt a power in that hum. You know, just I could feel it. Later, I think this is the ohm vibration. That's what I was hearing. And I distinctly remember thinking... I feel hurt and I feel sad, but that is on the outside of me. If I can go deep enough in myself, there is a place inside of me where where no hurt ever touches. And I, I was not talking about psychological dissociation. It was exactly the opposite. And I knew it then. It was I would become more of myself when I went deep enough to escape from this superficial upset that was going on. On. And that's how I would, you know, calm myself down, was that I would go into that untouchable place. And I could access it partly by the sound of the tires. I mean, later I learned the old meditation technique was exactly the same thing. But from my earliest memories, I had the same intention and I had the same understanding. I called it many different things until I was in my late teens and I was introduced to self-realization and then the word self-limiting concept came to me. And I realized what I felt was confined by my own self-definition. And when I found self-realization, I realized oh, my self-definition is wrong. That my actual self-definition is infinite. And nothing less than that will ever satisfy this longing inside of me. And from that point, I set my I saw my pole star, and I've never turned back. Instead of the bars, look at the space. Swamiji writes, Attachments are self-limiting, like prison bars. Ah, but see, between the bars there is space. If you concentrate on that space, the bars will disappear. They consist only of your own iron stubbornness. It's atoms being your repeated affirmations of a false reality. God bless you, my friends. Our work is made possible by inspired listeners. So if you feel to support Asha, you can make a one-time donation or for unique members-only content, subscribe through Patreon. Blessings and thank you.